Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mm-mm-mm. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. This is Harriet Kimmick with Down to Earth, the show in which we talk about the issues that matter. And on our show today, today we're going to talk about deaths of despair, why poor health care is contributing to the death of people, and why poor health care is causing people to die. Poor people are dying. So we're going to examine the parts of the country where this is specifically happening. And is there anything being done about it other than we're not aware of it? And what happens to those folks? For some time now, we've been talking quite a bit on what happens to people uh, as we encounter life crises. And I'm beginning to think that it's either I'm a prophet or it's either (laughs) I'm seeing something, but we've been talking for some time about how coping with life situations tend to impact our overall health. And in some cases, it's impacting people's life cycles. What we're seeing is that people are dying from what I call preventable situations, situations that are preventable. We know that there has been a spike in heart disease and stroke and uh, COPD, which is uh, pulmonary obstructive disorder. It's chronic because that means people are dying, they have a stroke, they have some sort of issue with their lungs, and COPD comes primarily from, you know what, smoking. So we know that these things exist, and over the last 30 or so years, uh, there have been advocates about changing our lifestyles and how improving or changing our lifestyles to ensure that we have a balanced approach to life in terms of exercise, making sure that we, we have exercise and we have diet that that is a contributing factor to our overall health. But lately, in the last 10 years, we have come to understand that our mental health is just as paramount, that in fact, you're not going to live if you're not together mentally, and that you could be healthy physically, and that things could be going your way, but if you're not mentally aware, then you're not going to make it. And so what we are finding is that uh, what we are finding is that people are dying in specific regions of the country. And so today I wanted to focus on that just a little bit to get all of us to, to be aware of what happens, what is going on in us, in our minds, in our spirits, in our emotions, how are we reacting to life situations that are threatening our lifespans. Uh, it's a very sobering reality. So we're going to talk about that. Of course, today is Tuesday, December 10th. Tomorrow is the 11th of December. I celebrate my birthday tomorrow. And uh, it's kind of fortuitous because, you know, they kind of put a damper on my birthday because they announced articles of impeachment. I don't want that to be the thing that people are talking about on my birthday. <laughs> right? I want to going to Christmas, kind of still optimistic, <laughs> kind of still hopeful, sort of, right, that 2020 is going to be the year of the manifestation, 
for many of us, right? And that those of us who have worked hard all year, prepared for decades now, that the next decade is going to be the realization of everything that we have worked for and planned for. But I wanted to talk about healthcare, and I began my podcast this year in talking about our health. And I must have been seeing something into the future that somehow the end of the year was going to bring us to this point where we are are literally talking about how much our health impacts our bodies, impacts our minds. And it's a sobering reality, my friends, when we sit back and think about the things that impact our health. And I wanted to have this frank conversation with you and to show you what social scientists are looking at on what the data is saying. I know many of us, some people dismiss science. You know, they're like, science is irrelevant. I don't know how you can think that because our bodies are the greatest science experiment ever. If you think about it, you put food in one way, it comes out the other way, and it looks different when it comes out than when it went in. I don't know why you wouldn't think that that's a scientific experiment. Uh, I don't know why you would think how the earth seems to have cycles where it's summer, it's winter, it's fall. You get on a plane and you leave snow on the ground and you fly to another destination and there's sunshine and warm weather. Right now, we're having winter in this part of the world. In Australia, winter been long gone. Do you see, so in December, December is not winter for them. December is the opposite of winter. Do you see what I'm saying? I don't know how you wouldn't think that everything is a science experiment, but lead onto you according to your belief. <laughs> what you believe, that's what you believe. I can't fight you with that, right? But I can show you how science is going to work. And if it's up to you to choose to listen to the data and be guided by it or not, I find that most of us come from different spaces and different places and different environments. A lot of people choose not to believe in the data that is showing that there are warm, there's warm air over the planet that is impacting weather. That's what's causing all this catastrophic weather because the warm air from our modern life, all these, all this warm air, how do we not think about it? Because you don't see it, you don't think it. Do you see what I'm saying? So what happens is because we don't see it and we don't think it, we tend to think that it's, it does, it isn't real. So all this, all the heat generated from our furnaces, right? All the extra air that we use to power our cars, our factories, right? And power our industries, power our homes. Why do you think that that is not hovering over the planet that is contributing to uh, catastrophic weather events? They might call it climate change. Maybe you don't like it because you think it's a bastion of liberalism thought and intellectual thought. But the truth is the truth. The facts are the facts are the facts. Whether you like it or not, it is what it is, right? Well, similarly, you're not probably not going to liken to the ideas that I'm going to show you, show you right now that are not ideas that are scientifically based facts gathered from data. And here's what the facts are showing. We all, those of us now who are older, if you're over 10 years old, you remember the crisis, the 2008 financial crisis. In the 2008 financial crisis, a lot of jobs disappeared. People lost their homes, right? The subprime mortgage crisis where the only people who made money were the boys on Wall Street. 
if anybody needs to be held accountable, it's the people on Wall Street, right? They made all the money, took all the money, and people were left with decimation in their lives. They were devastated. Homes were taken. People didn't have jobs because there was no money to lend to companies. And so there were no jobs available, right? And folks did lost their jobs and lost their grip on reality. No job means no house, means no car, means no life. People need jobs to maintain their lifestyles. So when the 2008 crisis hit and people were faced with despondency and the fact that they were facing an uncertain future, it would be remiss of the rest of us to think that that did not impact people emotionally and mentally. Well, we're now seeing the residue of that 2008 is 11 years ago now, right? 11 years have passed. Well, what has happened in the past 11 years? All of a sudden, America has what? A higher increasing death rate. We're noticing that people are dying in the primes of their lives. Fault children are losing parents. Employers are losing a talented and gifted workforce and skilled labor because people have chosen to swallow in despair. People don't have a choice. I don't think it's a choice. My mistake, it was not a choice. And so people don't have options. And what we're finding is this marked increase in death rates in certain parts of the country that is not happening on the co- in the coastal areas, like the coastal areas of the East Coast and the West Coast. People are not dying from the same kinds of illnesses. So the, this caused social scientists to look at this and to examine why is this. And the message was clear. After the 2008 crisis in manufacturing, where the auto plants and the steel mills closed their factories, those areas were decimated. The areas, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Kentucky, and Indiana. Know those places? Alcoholism, opioid crisis, drug overdoses, and suicide rampant through those areas. People in the 25 to 64 age group who are still in the prime of their lives. Now, overall, the the United States still has a high life expectancy. There's no doubt about that. But it could be higher, and it would have been, had the 2008 crisis not occurred. Now, we're supposed to be a wealthy nation, but the wealth, as we know in America, is not distributed. Nobody is looking for equal distribution of wealth because then we would not be a capitalistic society. What we're looking for is at least a foothold that people can maintain and hold on to what they have. The stories of people losing their homes to rapacious capitalism and losing their lives is too much. Some people just don't cope well with that. Some people don't know how to start over. Everybody can't run to the East Coast. Because then they would have a problem. Everybody can't run to California and to the East Coast to see if they can make it better, right? In some states, the states that are showing an increase in death rates as well, right, are the what I call the whitest states, New Hampshire, Maine, Vermont, West Virginia, and Ohio, the whitest states. So social scientists were looking at this, that this is a particular dilemma amongst rural whites that it was poor white people who were facing it. But what they, when they looked at the data, 
that people were dying from COPD and heart disease, what they found was that it was distributed among uh, ethnic groups. But here's the difference. Here's the difference. Here's the difference. There's some ethnic groups where these things don't happen, like Hispanics and Asians. They don't die. You know what we found with that? They have a stronger sense of community and a stronger sense of holding on to one another. Hispanics and Asians help one another as a community, as a group, as an ethnic group. They support one another. Traditionally, these deaths are taking place amongst poor whites and blacks. But when it comes to, and you find that even with, we know by now that people with a strong support system are less likely to commit suicide. So if they have people around them whom they can talk to, whom they trust, who will help them with hope. This is why I say continually that hope is a powerful thing. Hope gives you hope. Hope gives you power of life. Hope powers you to hold on in spite of the challenges that beset all of us. And there are challenges. You're looking at situations where people lost their jobs. Let's look at manufacturing, for instance, in the states I just mentioned, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Kentucky, and Indiana. In those states, what we found was that there were, it was decimated simply because of, of, of the, the loss of manufacturing jobs. I mean, just recently, the, earlier this year, General Motors closed the plant in Ohio. You and I don't need to ask what's going to happen next. The diner is going to close. The mom and pop store on Main Street is going to close. People are going to start drinking and drinking and drinking. And in about five years, more people would have died who will tell glory stories about the days when they worked at the plant. Are you hearing what I'm saying? People are dying from despair. When you look at the 25 to 64 age group, you recognize that these are people who are at the prime of their lives. You turn 60, you have a whole wealth of wisdom and experience to offer to a younger generation. How is that wealth and experience, that wealth of knowledge and experience being distributed if you're lying in a grave? The richest place in America right now is the graveyard. It's also the place of broken dreams where people gave up because they could not cope with the issues of life. And this is why I take angst with politicians who go out on the campaign trail and make promises that they know they will not keep just to get a vote, to get into office, to fulfill their own selfish desires. Because they know they couldn't keep GM plants open. They knew GM was not going to keep plants open because the world had changed. People are not buying small cars anymore. They're buying SUVs and trucks. That's a reality, right? People are, are with the future is staring down on us with electric cars. That's not something that's never going to happen. That's something that will eventually happen. Do you see what I'm saying? Just like mobile phones, we're going to replace home phones. It's the same thing. You can't fight it. It's the advance of technology. So politicians... Either they were misinformed or uninformed, but went out on campaign trails to promise people stuff in desperate areas, in desperate parts of the country that are being decimated, knowing they were not going to fulfill it, but were so hungry for power and wanted power at the expense of people's lives. Now, General Motors has closed the factories in those areas. The same thing is happening in urban Detroit and in Hamtramck where GM 
is planning to close plants, the, the mayor of Detroit is offering GM incentives to keep the plant open because it affects over 1,500 employees. What is, the, what is the value of 1,500 employees? That's 1,500 families who are going to be impacted. That means the factory worker who leaves work goes to the local uh, Dunkin' Donuts, right? They, go, they stop at McDonald's to pick up something for the kids, right? They stop at the gas station on their way home. They, their families go to the grocery store. That means those businesses that existed as a result of the factories being in place will be decimated. My daughter and I were somewhere recently. I can't remember where we were. And we were looking at how factory workers were impacting businesses. And we, we were, as we sat there and observed, we realized that if that factory closes, those businesses will be totally gone. All of those businesses will be gone. Downtown Detroit is alive with, 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 uh, with, 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 with financial services. Services is carrying the economy. If some of those financial services go out of business, the entire strip on Jefferson and Larned and all those streets that connect, they're going to lose their businesses. All those mom and pop stores, all the burgeoning stores in Midtown Detroit, all of that will be gone. And so when you look at it, you have to ask yourself, is this a policy decision? Is there something that can be done? Because poor health care does mean that people will get poor health care. And poor people can access health care. This is what the fight about Obamacare is all about, reducing people's options, making health care less available to the people who need it the most. And as I said, politicians who have never had to live a day in their lives, who never had to experience one, who never had to, didn't never even knew what it was like to see a dying parent that you could not control or stop the advance of disease, sit down and make promises to do things that benefited them. At the end of the day, it's all about them and how much money they and their family are going to make. As they make decisions about people's healthcare choices that impact directly how people live. In rural America, where they're mostly white, they don't have healthcare up there, brother and sister. They don't have healthcare. So preventable diseases like heart disease and strokes and COPD don't get treated. People have cancer riding through their bodies because in those areas, industries have left chemicals in the ground. That means the water table is polluted. That means the water coming from the sky is just as polluted because it's a cycle. The water on here creates precipitation that comes down as rain and comes down as snow, blah, blah, blah. You know how that works right? The water is contaminated in one place in West Virginia where death is rampant, where cancer is, a, is not just a disease, cancer is a plague. The factory that has pigs was pouring raw acid into the water system downstream. So the people who lived downstream didn't know they were drinking contaminated water for decades until people started dying. And trying to hold the company accountable became a political situation. That's what poor health care means. It means that you, ele- you elect people 
who have no uh, agency and have no investment in seeing people's lives being improved. My friends, we're at a turning point in our country. Where is America, dude? Where did America go? Went on a ship and sailed to Russia? Or did America just start sailing and just took off on its own and left the rest of us behind? Like, we're like, what? What is, what, was that America? What, what, what happened here? Where did America go? We're losing good people. Children are losing their parents before they're ready. You're a teenager, 18, 19, 20, and fine, you're losing your parents at 50, early 50s, late 50s. Your parents should be here to see you graduate and get married and start a life. Instead, you're visiting a grave where your parent is laid out. And for you to make it, you have to move out of a small town that has all your emotional connections and move to another part of the country to make it. The trauma, the emotional trauma that is contributing to people's lives. And all of this comes from politicians and their policies. Politicians who sit down with oligarchs, big business, large business owners, large companies, and say, this is what we're going to do to remain profitable. We don't care about the 3,000 people whose lives are going to be affected by the closure of the plant. It's not that General Motors could not retrofit the plant to make electric cars. They could have done that, but it was a political decision. It's not that General Motors or Ford or any other plant could not make the investment. They would rather take it to China that's where America, American industry and manufacturing fail to. Take it to China where they pay people 0.1 cents per hour to do the work and then bring it back here. It's cheaper than to pay Americans to do the job. Because at the end of the day, they want to be an oligarch. They want to be big pimping and big balling. So now we have this dilemma. And, and it's not a thing like this is the whole country. It's just in concentrated areas, the Rust Belt, Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania. I don't know how Michigan didn't factor into that because we went through a 2008 crisis that was unprecedented. They didn't look at what happened in Detroit and Flint after the 2008 crisis, after manufacturing jobs left Detroit. It was madness. People left the state, people who lived here all their lives, who grew up here, whose family lived here, right? People whose grandparents were here, came up from the South. People left Detroit looking for jobs. Young people graduated, couldn't get a job, had to leave Detroit and go somewhere else. Do you see what I'm talking about? So it's not like it didn't happen in other parts. I don't know how Michigan did factor into it. It has to be that. They didn't look at what happens in black areas. The same thing happened. Detroit was decimated. It was a ghost town, downtown Detroit. You could, man, in, after 2008, you could drive on Jefferson and not encounter a car for a while. You literally could drive from Jefferson from the lodge almost all the way to Grosse Point. You might count two cars. Buildings were empty. The police didn't make sense being down there because there was nobody down there. Detroit was taken over by vagrants and homeless folks. That's what happened after 2008. Buildings were boarded up. 
businesses that have existed for decades disappeared. Where did all those people go? I used to drive around Detroit and say, so the people who lived in these homes, where are they now? Where did they go? The 2008 crisis was rabid through this area because this area is dependent on manufacturing jobs to this day. Right now, GM is struggling, not financially, but struggling to come to grips with the, the new century that has dawned on it. Electric cars are going to be the wave of the future in 10 to 15 years. I don't know how they're going to sustain it in winter when things are frozen. I don't know how they're going to keep that going. I think people need to think about that. And meanwhile, the people who provide energy through oil are intent on keeping it going the way they like it because they make a lot of money from oil. (laughs) Right? I don't know how it's all going to work out. I don't know how electric cars, but I do know that they're going to find a way, especially in parts of the country where they don't have adverse weather like this. Maybe that's where electric cars will proliferate. But here in the Midwest, where things get frozen, solid, kind of steep, they have to figure that out. But they're doing the investment because, to their mind, that's the future. They want to remain competitive. So they're not looking at retrofitting factories to accommodate the new technology that needs to be there so that cars can either use what they call flex fuel, uh, ethanol, and regular fuel, or using fuel or battery. Maybe that's where it needs to be. The car can use either battery and fuel. So if you're in an area where you can't get it charged up, you switch to uh, fuel, right? So whatever their thinking process is, they have to think through this to see, to arrive at a conclusion that is going to be mutually beneficial, not just to General Motors and Ford and Chrysler, but mutually beneficial to the population it serves. And there has to be some element of corporate responsibility, some moral thinking that is guiding their actions. It can't just be about the bottom line and we have to satisfy our shareholders and our shareholders want their money and their dividends. It has to be about what's happening to the people. I dare say, and I've been saying for some time, that America has changed. That the stuff that we used to focus on, where we were concerned about the well-being of others, that shifted. That, that boat sailed. People are like, I don't care about them. I care about myself and how many billions I'm going to make. Let's look at the opioid crisis, for instance. They're now, they've held a, a family who uh, proliferated in the manufacturing and distribution of drugs, the Sackler family. They've held them accountable. That's just a teachable moment to teach others because there are other drug makers who are still sitting on the sidelines and so on. And when you look at how easy it is to have access to a drug like fentanyl, anybody knows what fentanyl is? Fentanyl is 100 times more potent than morphine. If, if anybody who has ever had a sick relative in a hospital knows that morphine is the most potent drug that can be prescribed to ease pain, especially people who are dying, people with chronic illnesses that life expectancy has been compromised, right? But fentanyl is 100 times more potent what drug distributors have been doing is mixing fentanyl into heroin. So people who take drugs don't know that, I mean, it's not like 
you go to the doctor and they prescribe you a pill and they say the pill has this much dosage and you can only take this much dosage every three or four hours. People who are chronic drug users just use the drugs indiscriminately. They don't know how much of it they're taking in, which accounts for a lot of drug overdoses because fentanyl has been processed into the drugs that people use recreationally. Now, why are people using more drugs? I mean, in the 60s, people were doing it for, you know, to dance psychedelically and to feel good. They were not using it as a form of escapism. Today, people are using drugs to escape their reality. That's interesting, and that's something to focus on. Because if, I guess this Uh, reality. What that tells us is that that tells us that people are using drugs for what? Not recreationally. They think it's recreational. It looks recreational, but they're using drugs so they don't have to think about the loss of their job, loss of their family, and the loss of their income. And the usage of that drug, because it's severely addictive, means they don't have any choice over how they use it. So they continue to use it and use it and use it until something terrible happens. Drug overdoses are real. Then you look at suicide, right? You look at suicide and you have to ask yourself, why? Why is this is, is this a reality? Then you look at alcoholism. People are drinking themselves into death. Alcoholism produces cirrhosis of the liver, where the liver can't, people die from alcohol poisoning. You drink so much alcohol, you can't function. It, it cuts your liver off, your liver function off. Do you see what I'm saying? So now we're faced with this dilemma. And the dilemma we are faced with is what are we going to do about this situation? We can't continue like this. We're losing good people. We're losing people who can contribute to the betterment and the improvement of humanity. I wish the oligarchs and the big, the big business boys would think about that for a second because they tend to think that all the ideas to promote humanity are resonant within their minds. That's what they think. They're extremely arrogant, right? And they think they have all the answers. So they listen to social scientists and they say, well, that's the idea that I like, so I'm going to promote that idea. And they don't care. Just like the oligarchs of the past, they don't care about the common people. People are dying. The Bible says, my people perish from lack of knowledge. People are dying and they are perishing from lack of good knowledge. They're perishing from lack of health care. Because what, if you go into rural America, how many hospitals do you think you're going to find within a 50-mile radius? Let's say a 20-mile radius. I can tell you right now in the Detroit area, within a 20-mile radius, I can count five hospitals on one hand. I can think of five. There are probably more within a 20-mile radius of the city of Detroit. But what about in rural Michigan, upstate Michigan, up in the cornfields? How many hospitals can you count? I really, driving to Lansing from Detroit, 
I got to think about that. How many hospitals do I pass on the way within a hundred miles radius? Do you see my point? So when you look at in rural America, this is a contributing factor to why people are dying. They, can't, they don't have the transportation to drive 50 miles to go to the nearest health center. Do you see what I'm saying? So our country is becoming unbalanced. There are more people living on the coast because of access to jobs and to health care than there are people living in the middle of the country. Manufacturing itself has left a toll. Don't think that stuff didn't get into the water table. Don't think that stuff didn't happen. You give it five years from now, after that GM plant closed in, in Ohio, you're going to hear about some sicknesses coming out of it where some weird kind of cancers start manifesting. My people perish from lack of knowledge. People are perishing from poor health care. The 25 to 64 age group is the target. Let me give you some facts that I read today. There's a New York Times article that I posted the link to. It says, life expectancy dropped over a period of three years after 2010. People in their prime were dropping. White Americans in rural areas were suffering from drug overdoses, alcoholism, and suicide, what we call deaths of despair. Rural Americans also were suffering from what we also refer to as preventable diseases, heart disease, COPD, and stroke. The highest increase in death rates occurred in the whitest states, New Hampshire, Maine, Vermont, West Virginia, and Ohio. But what we saw in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Kentucky, and Indiana was a loss of manufacturing jobs that caused people to give up. We need hope more than ever. This is not the first time that this has happened. In fact, in the 1960s, life expectancy among American males had dropped. It resuscitated because, again, in the 1960s, we were facing a cultural revolution. Manufacturing jobs were changing, and we were facing a social sort of change. So we understand that things change and life evolves. There's no doubt about that, right? What we're not believing and what we're not accepting is that some of these preventable diseases could be ameliorated by healthcare, by proper healthcare that people will come to a health center and when a problem is diagnosed, at least they have the option. You have a problem with alcohol? Well, we can send you to some alcohol treatment centers. Why do you have a problem with alcohol? Lack of jobs, lack of infrastructural investment. In the inner cities of America, the problem is gun violence. Where does that come from? A lack of jobs lack of infrastructural investment that causes people to give up when they don't have a job. So they turn to guns. So gun violence is what is killing people in the 25 to 64 age group in urban America, in rural America. It's lack of jobs manifested in suicide, drug overdoses, and alcoholism. Same problem, different responses to it. Again, the problem is lack of hope. When people don't have jobs and they can't earn an income, there is no hope. 
we've become a society of rapacious capitalism. We're focused more on the bottom line and profit margins than we're focused on humanity. And there are not enough voices to speak up in defense of humanity. More people are more focused on their profit lines, their bottom lines, their profit margins. More people are focused on that than they're focused on mom and pop who lived out in the rock belt or uncle so-and-so. I mean, I left the Midwest 50 years ago kind of thing, right? And so people, are we're not as focused on that. We're more concerned about the bottom line. We're more concerned about, well, how much is it going to cost me to live? I want to make as much money as I can. I am Jeff Bezos and I own Amazon. I've got to make $168 million a day. If I don't make $168 million a day, somebody's head is going to roll. That's what's driving us. And we've got to change the dialogue. We have created a society of inequities where the margins between the rich and the poor is so wide it can't be bridged anymore because there are no jobs for people to form of what you would call a middle class. Ordinary people just being able to get go on vacation, ordinary people being able to send their kids to school, ordinary people being able to afford a mortgage to buy a house so they can live. We have created an America that is made up of tent cities, people living on the bridges, people living at the end of their hope. Hope ran out because hope was perpetuated by the fact that you get up every day to go earn a living, powered you up. You felt good about yourself. You didn't need substances to carry you because you had purpose. You could go to a job. This is teaching us all a lesson. It's telling us that in spite of the obstacles that we go through, if there's one thing we can't lose is our hope. When we lose our hope, we lose ourselves. Because if you allow yourself to become inundated by the problems that beset us, you will find that you can't make it. You'll give up. And in giving up, you will suck up to despair. And in despair, you're going to find relief in the bottle. You're going to find relief in taking a drug. And eventually, the ultimate that you can think of is exiting out of here. Checking out of here. Like, nobody cares about me. Who am I? Some John Bro. I'm Joe Blow in Indiana. Nobody cares about me. If I die tomorrow, my life doesn't mean anything. This is why I've been preaching for years. Ladies and gentlemen, find purpose to your life. Do not let a job define you. Your occupation is, does not define you. Find purpose. Find a reason for living. Because when the job goes, if the job is your purpose for living, when the job goes, you won't have purpose. And what we have seen since 2008 is people use their job as their hope. In America, I read this years ago, and now I'm beginning to see the truth to it, is that in America, people's uh, purpose, purpose for living is entwined in their occupation, in their job. In other parts of the world, it's not. People have a greater purpose for living. They don't believe in working 18 hours a day exclusively. 
They believe in a balanced life where they go home and they have a glass of wine. In Spain, for instance, they don't go to, they don't have dinner till eight o'clock. They have a siesta and they don't have dinner till eight o'clock. People live longer, healthier. They're not riddled with heart disease until they start copying American lifestyles. Here in America, Jesus, you go to work and you're like a bunny that power you up if you don't know no, no, all day. Yeah, all day. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to find a purpose outside of our occupation. Your job is an occupation. It occupies your time. And in exchange for it, they give you a paycheck. That cannot be your purpose for living. You've got to have a purpose for living, something that is going to power you up, that is going to force you to get up even when you don't feel like it. Even when you say, Harriet, I lost my house. I lost my car. You're talking to someone who has been there. I've, I've been there with that. I have, I've had to starve over so many darn times I can't come. I have learned to cling to my hope. If I didn't cling to my hope, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be healthy. I can walk confidently into the doctor's office. As you get older, you're kind of like, but you can still walk in confidently, knowing that everything is all right, because this is it. What this tells us that at all costs, we have to maintain our mental health. Our mental health helps us, and hope contributes to your mental health. Don't succumb to despair. Replace despair with hope. I went to a Catholic high school, and I'm about to close. I'm about to be done, right? I went to a Catholic high school, and we used to, part of what the daily routine was, they used to make us recite the prayer of the, the prayer of the St. Francis of Assisi. And one of the songs I remember was, where there is despair, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is despair, let me sow hope. Because it is in living that I receive. Do you see what I'm saying? There were times in my life when I was surrounded and I found myself in despairing circumstances that I had to reach for my hope. And I remembered that song. I remember those words. Lord, make me an instrument of that peace. Where there is despair, let me sow hope. Hope is powerful. Hope gives you hope to cling to. I know some of us are going into the Christmas season. You don't even have gifts under the Christmas tree. Tomorrow is my birthday. I'm not going to be where I want to be. I'm not going to be spending or going shopping where I want to go. Look at my face, right? But that's just one day. So what I tell myself is every day is a gift, and every day I live for that day. Find your purpose. Ladies and gentlemen, your purpose is not your job. Your purpose is not what you go to to earn a living. That's all that that does is contribute to your being able to live your purpose. Find your purpose, whatever it is. If your purpose means you have to go volunteer somewhere else, go do it. It will give you perspective. Broaden your skill set. Invest in yourself. I am constantly renewing and trying to improve myself. I, I, I don't do enough. Honestly, there are not enough hours in the day for me to do the things I want to do. I constantly want to improve and renew me every day. I want to learn new things. I want to meet new people who are interesting, people who have value. 
if you don't add value to my life, I don't keep you in my circle. I don't like people who are toxic and people who say the same. You've got to have a changed mindset. I don't like people who are cunning because that robs. Cunning is good, but how good is it? I don't like people who rob other people intentionally. Do you see what I'm saying? So I keep my mind focused on the good. I'm leaving you with these words. I want you to focus on what is good. Focus on the good. In this season, when the, when the season began in November, I said it at the beginning of that season, that we're entering into the holiday season where people are not with the people they want to be. Some of us have lost spouses. We have lost friends. We have lost family members. Hear me clearly. We have lost our hope. Those were people who were part of our support system. We had to learn to rely on ourselves. We lost valuable people. We lost good friends. We lost people who were our back. They, they, they held us together. You cannot give up hope. Cling to what you know that is good. If anything be good, think on these things. Think on the power that powers the universe. Think on the fact that the stars still shine. Think on the fact that the sun comes up. Even though I live in Michigan and it's probably snowing someday or something right now, it probably is. But the sun is going to come up tomorrow. If it is not tomorrow, it's going to be another day. The sun is going to shine on your circumstances. Do you hear me? I speak peace and well-being and health and wellness into every listener on this program. I command peace be upon you. I command hope to replace the despair and the darkness that is up on people's minds in the name that is holy. I thank you right now, Jesus, that you will come to these folks and you will come to our aid. And you will tell people not to pick up a bottle. My friend, look at me. Look at me. Look here. Drop the bottle. The answer is not in the bottle. The answer is not in the white powder stuff you put under your nose. The answer is not in the pill. The answer is in your mind. The answer is in you. You are the miracle. You are the greatest miracle in your life. You are the best thing in your life. Focus on how you can be a better you. Replace the darkness with hope. Stop watching all these depression memes and these depression stuff. Don't buy into that. It is going to lead to one place, and it's called death. And there is no coming back from death. Can I just be honest with you? When you die, you don't come back. When you die, you don't go to a place where you're floating, and you think that death is a revenge on the people who caused you to die. The people at General Motors in a boardroom and the people at Price Waterhouse and Deloitte and Touche, the people at Bank of America, they don't care when you die. You are not going to see them and they're not going to care that they contributed to your death. They're going to sign off and they're going to keep it moving. Just like with the people who walk out of our lives. They don't care either. They keep on walking. Well, what are you going to do? you got to get up and live. Somebody walked out of your life. Somebody told you in this season they don't want to be with you. They don't want you. Keep it moving. You lost a job. Okay, there are many other jobs. Keep it moving. One of the things that I do, I like looking. You all have a bank account somewhere. Why don't you log into your bank account and just imagine that there are more dollars in front of them zeros. Don't just look at the zeros. Tell yourself that there are going to be more dollars in front of it. Command you to rise up. Speak to yourself. Go stand in front of your mirror and tell yourself, I'm coming out of this. I'm coming out of this. 
This too shall pass. I'm coming out of this. Enough of the despair and the darkness. Tell yourself, I'm coming out of this. This too shall pass. Come on. This too shall pass. Replace despair with hope. Find you somebody who can speak hope into your life. You don't believe me? Go to my blog talk radio page and listen to some of the sermons I preached years ago on hope and faith. My friends, it came back to bless me. My investment in myself came back and blessed me. When my mother died, I felt like all hope was gone. I kid you not. I never knew anything like that could ever happen. I never knew losing a parent made you confront such realities. I didn't know how I was going to make it. I literally wanted to pull the the, the, the covers over my face. But I was still alive. And what saved me was hope. I clung to that little hope and clung to it until I learned to deal with the fact that she's gone and the fact that I have to live. I told myself, I have to live. I want to live. I have a contribution to make. I've got to do this. That's what powers me up every day. Do I wake up every day like, mm, my kids say that I wake up and they can hear me working out. And they say, Mom, you literally command the day. That's what my kids tell me. They're like, Mom, I don't think you, you ever fall into this prayer because you just command the day. And I'm like, huh? Really, you know how hard it is for me to get up in the morning? I don't even like waking up. They're like, that's not the manifestation. What you're seeing is just a glimpse. I know you lost your job. I know that the job is gone. But it's not the end of it all. Move to another place if you had to. When I was faced with despair in my life, I changed my circumstance. I changed my geography. I moved to a place where there was more hope, where I could find a support system that powered me up. Even if it doesn't work for you in Indiana or Kentucky or Ohio, find somewhere else. You might be in New York City and it's not working, go somewhere else. You might be before you cling to something and you find yourself at the bottom of the heap, go somewhere else and start over. I know a man who is a Muslim. He had a business in West Virginia. He had a series of gas stations in West Virginia. He's a Muslim in red in, in red state, West Virginia, in the mountains. They made it difficult for him to perform his business, so eventually he sold it. He moved to a place called North Dakota. He called me. He said, Harriet, I've never in my life lived in a trailer. He said the boom was on in North Dakota. They couldn't build apartment buildings enough. People were moving there because they could find jobs. And the rent was cheap. So the rent started to hike because the demand outpaced supply. So what they did was people started renting RVs and living in RVs. So he said, he said he's the happiest. He bought a gas station. He said it was so cheap. He said he sells everything in the gas station. He worked morning, noon, and night. He said he had to sleep in the back of the gas station. He couldn't even leave it. But what kept him going was his hope. He said, can you believe I end up in a place like that? Hope is powerful. Hope now, therefore. Hope in the Lord. Hope. Believe in the God of your salvation. Believe in what you believe. Come on, hope. Cling to something that is bigger than yourself. We have allowed ourselves to be narrowed down and tell ourselves that we are the end of ourselves. That, and so when something happens around us, inside of us, to us, we start collapsing because we have placed our faith and our hope and our belief in, in ourselves. 
while you do that, but you have to believe in something bigger than you, something outside of you, that you can feel that some peace when you go to pray. Do you pray? Pray, therefore. All right? This is some stuff that we have to internalize and be with. When I'm done with you right now, I'm going for some self-care. I'm going to have a cup of hot chocolate, and then I'm going to go buy some chocolate stuff. And I'm going to have some self-care, right? Because my hope has kept me and has powered me up. I encourage you to go to my website, harrietkemick.com. And I encourage you to buy my books. There's a great book that I've written for years now called Musings of the Spirit. Go find your hope in the pages of Musings of the Spirit. You can download my books right to your phone. You don't have to wait for it to come to you. You can download my book, Musings of the Spirit, right to your phone. Those are the scriptures and the thoughts that powered me as I endured the worst time of my life. Go read it. You'll find some hope within that page. It's $9.99. Just download it to whatever phone you have. doesn't matter. Wherever you are in the world, you can get it done. I want to thank you so much, everybody. Share this broadcast with someone else. You're not the only one. There are other people who need to hear this. There are other people who need to be built up. There are other people who need to be encouraged. Share this broadcast with them so that they, too, can find their hope. Replace your hope with despair. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. My phone number is 248-491-8139. Anybody who feels like you want to talk to me off air and you feel like you need to talk to me because you are experiencing a problem, please feel free to reach out to me. Again, that number is 248-491-8139. Thank you so much, everybody. This is Harriet Kamek with Down to Earth. I thank you for being a part of my experience today. I pray peace. I pray grace, and I pray hope be upon all of us during this season. I'll see you again tomorrow. Be blessed, everybody. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.